Welcome back to Hearness, Contemporary Art Practices for Connecting Body, Place and Space. At Hearness, we acknowledge the deep connection to land and waters by First Nations people all around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Breen Lovett, and this month we are very excited to bring the work of Rachel Peachy and Paul Mosig to you. Otherwise known as Peachy and Mosig, they are artists based in the Blue Mountains, Australia, and if you have not seen their work, it's really worth checking out. They create videos, photography, installation and digital works. And just looking at the work gives you a real sense of family and sacredness of the everyday. They work with the adventure of play, human ecology, systems theory and the magic of place. Did you meet and when did you know that you wanted to work together? We met at art school. Yeah. I was at Canberra School of Art and Paul was at the um, ACAT or Centre for New Media Arts, it became called. Yeah. And we met in a video class and I think thought each other's work was interesting, I guess, even from that basic thing. Yeah. But then we came from really different, like what, like, aesthetics in some ways before going to art school i'd been working as a designer so i was very very influenced by abstract natural things maths and yeah maths and sciences basically mine was more like physical i mean i studied human ecology which is like ecology but with um humans in the system like the thing the thing that's the key difference from um an art I hate some terms, but like an art experience compared to just whatever you're doing or like um, scientific kind of interrogation or like is that it's really unstructured. It's like that's what we've got from doing like play-based kind of work and with the kids, working with the kids specifically on the idea of play is that for us what play means. We're not talking about... um, Uh, games we're talking about unstructured play where there's no outcome so you don't know what's going to happen and it really depends on what anyone brings to it and someone might bring some type of structure to it like oh here I've got a stick let's play with this stick but then you're still negotiating the rules of how you're going to play with that based on how anyone might do that and so it is really going back to a a child and I don't mean childish because that's got so many negative connotations which it doesn't need to but like adults 
<coughs> often start to really need their games to have these like structures like you're either playing sports or you're playing mm. particular games or even video games or whatever so we're really trying to get back to a very unstructured like playing like playing how you do when you're a kid and it's really interesting it's good for your brain it makes you really like oh what would I do if I was playing in this particular landscape when you're a kid you're like uh, I don't know about walls what's it like if I climb that wall or, oh I'm not strong enough my arms are weak. you know like you, you learn things about yourself self or about each other and about the space through that unstructured play and even though kind of the more contemporary kind of talking about mindfulness or, or the here-ness or anything like that is this very like still thoughtful like particular thing for us like the, the the moments when we're the most like in the moment is these actually super unstructured moments where kind of you've letting go of all of the um you know structure of how you're supposed to be doing something because you're not really supposed to be doing anything i think we've we've definitely got a lot from um uh the uh, adventure as a as a process of making work and that adventure as a process to get there because you're going to um you know if you launch if you try and launch into something too quickly you're not necessarily there mentally anyway so if you have to walk to get somewhere you know you'll be talking about it the whole time and you know by the time you get there everyone's kind of a bit more ready for something to happen because you're further away from your everyday rhythms of like you know stacking dishwashers and you know that type of stuff i see you all having this amazing present experience with your family Firstly, the act of slowing down and playing with your children and making that part of the work and then documenting it. It's like it's kind of, um, it's like it's looking at a photo album of your life and that kind of reminds you to be present, more present. Um, I, mean, I mean, yeah, same with us looking at some of those things. You're like, oh, they were, they were moments yeah. that were like, well, and even, more than that even though they were difficult yeah. or like even i mean that's the magic of photography or, or video or editing sometimes is like well i guess it's the same as memory you know all the really difficult parts you, you don't necessarily remember them the same no. way that you do the magical parts and isn't it a thing you, you you've probably come across this like how memories of hardship and kind of difficult times as as time goes by our brain interprets them as kind of positive experiences it doesn't always have to be the the happy i'm at peace with the world moments that actually are that it's that you know it can be the real distraught thing but you're just kind of looking at it it's like you're almost looking at yourself going through that Mm. And you're, set, you're kind of separate to that as well. Like it's like, oh, this is my life playing out in front of me um, and and I'm documenting it or I'm recording it or I'm showing it in this way and it's not like a misrepresentation. Like we really don't want our work, like it, even though it's trying to be quite strong in some way, we're also trying to not make it be anything either. <laughs> which is a bit of a weird mix. So it doesn't want to look like fashion or dance or family yeah. photos or like, oh, this is about this particular thing. Like you're trying to leave a lot of space for people to project whatever they want onto it. Yeah, I just think that's probably the key to the power in your work is that openness. Because as well as it being aesthetically beautiful and extremely poignant feeling, 
like it has a weight and a density to it that has a real presence it's actual it's actual reality that you're looking at yeah like you all look relaxed and it's natural looking it doesn't look staged at all but then yeah. you're doing these weird things <laughs> you know these unusual yeah. things that you don't normally yeah. see people in these compositions with the landscape or with each yeah. other and I this I guess it's the ease with which that comes well, like you I, say it's getting yeah. everyone in that headspace I mean I've been doing that since I was in college with friends and we played a lot really we used to go out at night and not to kind of be reckless or anything we would just play in the parks or go for walks places or we'd go on adventure like adventuring and what about um I guess the relationship with the landscape like the kind of relationship between the the, the body and the landscape at the at the start of collaborating Rachel definitely you know you push to have a figure in landscape like I, I'd been working entirely kind of abstractly really um but but I think that's because of that play background it's like it's more fun like i mean we we kind of make art because it's i mean it's not always enjoyable but it does lead to really interesting experiences Um, i think the thing that's the most fun for us is is like exploring and like exploring particular places and um art is kind of a way to do that so A a figure in landscape immediately creates uh, some type of tension or narrative uh, uh, like immediate relationship to landscape when you're when we're exploring places for those reasons for those your reasons, hands are aware of them yeah you're you're looking completely differently to when you're just just bushwalking talking about something or other and you know you're really kind of well even like through the city like seeing a particular like part of yeah. architecture or wall or like, yeah. you know, geometry would be different if you weren't looking at it in terms of how, how yeah. it might be. Because we're often looking for kind of ambiguous spaces, like like in the city we want, we want to find a space that is almost like a, a set that we don't have to build, and, but it's, it's not recognisable as anything in particular. Um, so when you're looking for that, it's amazing how finely kind of tuned your eye becomes, you know, immediately because you're like, you see something, you're like, oh, that's kind of it. And then you're like, oh, no, nah, and you rule it out for these reasons. And then the rest of your walk is kind of honing in. Um, and we don't often find it. We're often looking for something that doesn't exist. Um, but that's kind of fine. It, it means that you, you, your, your experience of moving through that space is completely different. To what it would be otherwise. i mean i there's this place when i was at school uh the anu had a coastal um place called kiola and um i went there with a landscape ecology class you know we did transects and we you know like wrote down all what species were in that you know etc and went back and did our computer modeling and stuff and then i went back with the acat with a video and sound artists and stuff and we explored that same bit of forest but in a completely different way and i think that's really fascinating like that um you know you can be anywhere and really have a different a different relationship to it depending on on how who you're with or yeah, how you're feeling your, your or intention. you know if, if it's a personal thing it's completely different if you're with other people and who those people are are bringing different types of ideas with them and we're in the process of doing a 
kind of art, art walk, walking as art project, which is an ongoing thing. There was a historic camp in the Blue Gum Valley, in the Blue Gum, Blue Gum Valley down in near Blackheath, where um, people from um, Sydney came, artists from Sydney came and camped there. And that was kind of how the first national park started. And, you know, it has like a, a long history of, of kind of art interaction with that area. And we were going to kind of do that. And then that kind of wasn't, yeah, oh, well, after the fires, actually, you can't actually go and camp in there anymore. It's, it's closed. That whole area is closed. Um, and then so we thought we'd do a walking, walking one. Were you making work along the way or like filming and photographing with the idea of to do something with it that, later or? That, that was the plan, but there really was um, a lot of walking. Like the, the project was called, we went for a walk and at the end we we're like, that is literally all we did. Like <laughs> on the first day we walked like, you know, dawn to dusk and the next day we pretty much walked dawn to dusk, which, which made it quite an interesting um, process of kind of physical exhaustion and just so much walking and kind of talking and thinking. It's an interesting balance, isn't it, between the kind of experience of the walk and then the making of something and does that take away from the experience or does it enhance it, you know, as you're going along? And how was it overnight? Yeah, that yeah. was great. It was extremely quiet because yeah. of the fires, which was quite... Yeah full on really so it was, it was a very still night but like all of the insects you know there's been a huge amount of insects killed and they haven't really come back so the oh, night, oh, birds or, oh yeah. yeah i mean <laughs> it, it, it flows through but but yeah so 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 it was a very it was a very um quiet night really and we were, we were right up the top of mount dingo and you kind of camp on a ridge so it um it it could be pretty noisy there. Like if there was a wind and, and just normal sounds, it would be quite a, you know, like a, a full on camp, but it was incredibly still. That would have been nice. I've never camped overnight. Like I've never done an overnight walk like that. So I, maybe I too have these romantic notions of being out in the bush in the dark overnight and it must be very magical, but you probably, just trying to stay alive and warm. <laughs> well, it was there, magical. It was, was definitely magical. But it yeah. was interesting the the last moment before we got up, like both Emma and I had separately had these quite um weird um kind of out of body, like conscious, but like imagining ourselves like, okay, if I go over there, what will go happen if we go back down that same way? Or maybe we'll go, you know, like imagining what we do in the morning, because the idea of getting down off it again in the morning wasn't like, wasn't really anxiety as such, but kind of um, something that had to be solved <laughs> and like a, and a kind of feeling of like, hmm, I'm not sure that's going to be that easy, but yeah, I mean, in the end, there was actually quite a few people staying up there that night, but in very different spots. And So you're doing a walking work as well for, is it for the next cementer that you're preparing for uh, candles? No. It's more about gardening, fallow gardens, but like cultivated gardens, like plants as things that kind of transition from one state to another and that can be a source of like usefulness or not or like community, all different things around that kind of process. Uh, I, I guess we're kind of acutely aware that we don't want to like, because it's such a small community, we don't want to make um 
a work that we kind of yeah i don't know i don't i don't know quite how to explain it but like something that we just kind of import and foist onto the community for the festival and then and then that's that's it it's over so i mean not not that, not that we're massively community artists i wouldn't say like we're not very there's some there's people that are way better at, at a better place to do that kind of thing than us it's more that um like with the work in Broken Hill, like we met Daryl, who's a miner, and he took Paul down the mine, and then we went and found a space that we enjoyed, and we we made work there, and we started to kind of weave those things together with a kind of through point of geological time and the way that humans change the landscape within the context. He was talking about in terms of what Broken Hill was like, even, you know, uh, 40, 50 years ago. You know, the unions were really strong and the way the town ran was really healthy. The relationship between the unions and the companies was was really strong. Uh, and it meant that the town was healthy and happy. Um, but, um, you know, then basically through, through mechanization, the mines became a lot safer, but the labor force dropped a lot so you know it, it changed which meant that the town basically collapsed there's you know there's five or six thousand empty houses in broken hill um and so that that creates issues so so hearing people talk about how the town used to run um you know they're really reminiscing like the 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 golden era really like um you know the because of their strong negotiations there was like family picnic days the mines paid for all of the sports equipment you know it was it was it was um the town was a totally different town to how it is now um but um but yeah and and he was quite pragmatic about it like also acknowledging that basically a lot less people die in the mines than they used to um through all of the the mechanization and safety protocols but that um you know, it's a totally different era to what it what it was previously, um, and just being able to work through honestly which are the good parts of that change and which are the bad parts of that change, and I think let you let you then look at at uh, different systems and overlapping systems, and, and I think um, like one that's really affecting a lot of systems is just the, the collapse of community. Um, and, uh, and that was definitely there in Broken Hill. You've been on a lot of international residencies too. I, I guess I just wonder, is it, does it feel different when you go on residency in Australia, the way that you engage with place, it, is it different when you're in a country that's not your own? Doing residencies in Australia have so much carryover baggage from having grown up here and and your kind of understanding of the socio-political kind of landscape is is to to an extent that is totally different when you go overseas i find the ones overseas uh it's probably easier to to be really contextual to to the, the exact place you you are because that, that maybe, is, maybe not as nuanced though. yeah because that is your whole world for 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 a second um it's the benefit of being an outsider so you you know you ask particular questions because you don't know that that's not a question you yeah. you know you shouldn't ask and yeah then, i guess the, the the connecting point through all of the residencies that you you're kind of on that outside trying to understand a place 
like we did a, a residency in Sotto Chiesa, um, which was a very small little Italian village and we didn't speak Italian. So our whole kind of um, contemporary understanding of that place and how it worked really only came from one person. But then it just meant that we had a very physical, you know, personal reaction to the place as opposed to a historical or cultural. It was more, more elemental. That's an interesting, I think that's a really interesting um, process because, um, you know, being open to what can come through the act of being there and talking to people and not pushing an agenda from the outset um, and kind of being willing to let the place take you on a particular journey and see what comes from that. Um, it's a nice, very Zen way of practicing, you know, rather than I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to do this thing yeah. or, you know, and I guess also, there's two ways to see it with the residency. Like, yes, you're an outsider. Um, and like you say, the questions and the things that you ask may be out of the context, but they also may be looking at a thing in a new way that when you're an insider, you don't see it that way either. For sure. I mean, I, I would like, just going back to the being very Zen, you know, the ideal is that of course it's not, it's not like that though. Like it's an, it's an up and down of like, um, Oh, what's going on? Oh, yeah. this is quite interesting. Oh, what are we doing today? Why aren't we doing this? <laughs> like, it's not like it, I, like it sounds very nice. And it, it is at times it's definitely that, but it's not just that. Mm. It's also definitely not easy. And sometimes it's quite difficult until it's not. You, you have the work looks like you're having a very profound relationship with the land, yeah. the yeah. space that you're in. And yeah. um, I just wondered, because I did read a bit like, about the magic of the place. Was that in the springs near San Pellegrino? Uh, that, was, that was particularly for that project about how other people for so many hundreds of years have projected this kind of um, magical quality onto the water. Like, so the water being able to heal you, mm. kind of find that quite fascinating. And we were doing a project where we, because, you know, they now bottle like a billion bottles of water. Like it's a massive industry, which is not, you know, I mean, it's, you know, politically, environmentally quite complex <laughs> as everything is. Um, but, you know, we were like chemically, like just chem from a chemical kind of perspective, you could, we were taking the water from Katoomba from the spring here and you can add... Um, potassium, calcium, chalk, magnesium. And if you do it in the right kind of quantities, you could make the water here exactly the same chemically as the, as the water there. But we were like, is that it? Like, <laughs> I know yeah. it doesn't have the story then of it going through the mountains yeah. and coming out through the spring. And, you know, so, you know, it's just that question of what, what makes something kind yeah. of magical for people like well and is, is that is that premise any more absurd than because what used to happen was you you traveled to san pellegrino and you you bathed in the water and you drank the water and you you, you stayed you stayed with it for a little while and that was that was the experience and then people... that was a healing process which i mean obviously is connected to leaving your yeah. life and having relaxing time and yeah. <laughs> and 
and uh, and so based on that story, they created this multinational like insanely large industry, right? And so now people's relationship with San Pellegrino is is just buying a bottle at Woolworths or Coles, and and are you are you getting any of the magic of the 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 process through that experience, or is 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 the bit that would actually heal you the the, act, the process of going there, taking time out of what you're doing, and and spending the time in this this space that you you believe to be really healthy, and so you go there with that attitude, um, and so that was where the premise of our absurd project <laughs> came from, was what if we chemically reproduce the water and then um, yeah we'll we'll yeah can we make magic water basically. <laughs> Like what kind of story or uh, cultural like input could yeah. we give to this water to get it back to that magical like? Um, yeah, and we were talking about so you'd make it chemically identical, and then if you stored it in this kind of glass cylinder, you could you could play it Italian opera and <laughs> and project Italian films through through the water to give it a, a rapid cultural kind of education. Anyway, so yeah, yeah I mean. <laughs> I love that. I love that idea, though, of um, the magic actually coming from the science of it. Because I kind of think it's the same. Like it's the same thing. I think that's probably like it, it's obviously the relaxation part of it all as well that you're talking about. Oh, but the actual place, like the place, is pretty. It's beautiful. Like it's oh, it is magical. So yeah. if if you're in the right headspace, going there could have been this very life-affirming experience and and if you feel like the water is magical maybe maybe it is like in a placebo mm. kind of way or even you know any type of particular thing you do can change you if you mm. let it in a particular way i don't know i don't think i'm a witch or anything but you know like i do like it as well like i feel like you um, can add kind of power to things through kind of intention absolutely yeah yeah and then but like for me the difference is i feel like you can do that and then if if you like lose it who cares like stuff is also just stuff like, <laughs> we're also kind of interested in the like, contradictions like something can be magic and pedestrian at the same time like well it, it can be magic now and then not tomorrow like <laughs> yeah. you know that's... would you have yeah. would you have your own rituals that you that you do our ritual is to go somewhere, <laughs> I guess, and to explore places, like to to play in different mm. environments. In, and then the, what do we mean by playing that we've said before is just having no outcome in mind so that things can mm. happen. Um, which which was the, the walk the walk that we did, like I, I was very much approaching it from that perspective in that like, like I... I I didn't really know what what um, what work was going to come out of it, but that that was fine, which I think is um, yeah the perspective that kids have that's really enviable is that they they seem more comfortable with just launching into stuff with the the intent is the important part, not the not the um, what it might look like. Yeah, over fixating on whether or not it's going to be successful before you've even started. <laughs> You're already worried about whether or not it's going to be good enough. I think one thing that is interesting in terms of not rituals but maybe characters is that as a family we've certainly started to 
assume particular roles. You know, we, we definitely have things that we fall back on, I guess, yeah. before something else might happen. It's not like it's completely different every single time. There's definitely yeah. things people kind of habits build on and habits yeah. of things. But it's interesting that you have that and then within each different environment you go to, then that, that thing's affected by the environment that you're in. That's definitely always been a process which we've done together. Mm. We don't really kind of just um, draw or make or um, photograph at home as such. I think, I think that's a, a ritual for the future. Make, making the balls is very ritual-like. When, when you're making them, it's just dirt and water, so they're very um, soft and, like, they kind of hardly, hardly stay together. Like, the process is to, like, get it to a consistency, which is almost magical. You don't know what it is. <laughs> and then each day you kind of touch them a little bit and they, you have to just make sure that you're touching them at the right moment. Like, something alive, I guess, and trying to, like, yeah. I don't know. It was, and, and I thought it wouldn't work at one point and then so suddenly did, like, all these types of things. Like, it's interesting. And each, each each earth is different so like the you know the desert is different from our garden is different from you know and some would be really easy like a really clay soil would be so easy <laughs> but that makes it different like you would have a different relationship to that type of mm -hmm. thing i guess yeah. do you find the do you find them relaxing to make sometimes i think and that's really interesting too if i'm in a relaxed mood then they are if i feel like I was having to make them to get it done, then no. <laughs> Which is, I guess, like with anything really, like if you're cleaning the house, it can be really fun or it can be a horrible chore. It really depends on how you approach it and that can depend on all kinds of things, how you're feeling, how everyone else in your house is feeling or how much time you have to do other things or, yeah. Is So like the idea of intention when you're making talismanic yeah. objects yeah. is it that yeah. intention yeah absolutely just like um making things for particular reasons and that so other people might be able to like think or feel on those reasons like only for a second enough to kind of give them a ledge mm. which to kind of keep going or, or, or not i guess because of the um aesthetic of the documentation it's is somber and lonely and aching that's what it feels like to me in a lot of the the way the color of the photography and the aesthetic of it and so these objects that you may be playing with whether it's fun play or you know concentrated yeah. play or competitive play you don't because you don't know all of that I guess I see them as I kind of always thought they were sensing objects trying to sense energy from the landscape but they're not that at all i feel yeah. like people have all kinds of responses the, the dark kind of stuff is because i don't like we're playing like we're really playing it's not about some weird sanitized advertising view of what child's play is because kids playing it's not it's not cheery like it's fun and it's it's like awe-inspiring and they're having a great time and then they hit each other sometimes like it's 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 kind of wild like life or nature or anything so yeah we're i mean we're both really interested in systems theory you know there's there's like growth 
conservation and then collapse and then reorganization and then it goes around again and and we're interested in kind of all parts of that because because it is an infinitely re repeating cycle but i think you know i think if you ask lots of people the collapse of a system is kind of you know would be viewed scary and depressing yeah but negatively it is, yeah it is the point where where something else can happen yeah like it's the most it's the most likely point that a new thing can be established and, and yeah. that's exciting also and it's often the only time as groups of humans because our groups have got so big it's the only time where where change is possible so it's it's as well as being kind of a traumatic time it can be an incredibly positive time they were interested in in systems yeah and so and so it kind of involves everything <laughs> which i know is a bit of a ridiculous kind of thing but you kind of are like any one thing that you're interested in is clearly has connections connections with almost everything, everything. like the idea the idea that something you know if we're particularly interested in you know the water here or the 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 mine there or this or anything in particular or or time or rocks or whatever like whatever thing that you kind of start with it's it's connected to all kinds of things so um that might be the cultural system and the history of that place and the environmental change that's happened there and that might be um very considered or just you know like we're just interested in that as people and it might make it into the work or it might not. And so what about the critical mass exhibition? Uh, I thought that we made, I made like 70 of those dirt balls. So I made a lot of them. <laughs> so when some of them, some days were really lovely, I enjoyed it a lot. And some days were, it was just chore-like. Yeah. Um, and then they're in a little room space and then I have like a dress made out of an old morning dress uh, and with bits of plant materials and silk stitched in and bees and things <laughs> and some sound it's it's kind of about the idea of it's like an old tradition called telling the bees where you told the bees that someone if someone in the family died then the beekeeper would go and tell the bees and they would go into mourning as well and so we were kind of thought that was quite a fascinating thing we ended up going to see this woman who lives in the mountains to get some bees from her. And we were telling her about that, that kind of thing. She's like, oh, the, the guy that I got my hives from had just done that. Our, our kind of um, idea with it was more that it, like our work was not so much about a one particular death, but a, about a, a whole of species death or a collapse of an ecosystem or the fact that this particular time might be in the in the in the cycle of things might be a collapse point and that to go through one of these points you really need to grieve that process like you might at a funeral like the funerals and other rituals that we have to deal with grief um for people aren't really available in terms of um ecosystems or environment even with the fire the fact that the fires have completely changed ecosystems around people and even though you, you you kind of might mourn that in particular ways, that kind of feeling of, of change 
is not something that we have rituals for that much. So we were just trying to make it make a little space for that, I guess, in a very small way. Yeah. <laughs> but with the kind of more, you know, and talk to people more about that idea of um, grief rituals for for systems. systems collapse, so that so that there then can be space once you've done that to to do other things. But if you're trying to do all this new stuff and you're trying to create new systems, then you, you kind of have to grieve for the things you might have to let go of. Mm. And, and not just in a really moral way. Like you shouldn't be doing this. Like if you're not, never going to fly again, like good for you. That's a very moral decision. But it doesn't mean that you didn't enjoy the freedom that it gave you to do those things, whether that be to explore new places or to see family or, you know, whatever. Like it, things that we might have to change. They're not necessarily things that we want to change. <laughs> And there's probably a lot of grief in that type of um, things that we'll have to let go of, really. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Peachy and Mozig. Their critical mass exhibition at the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre will be on until December 6, 2020. All links to Peachy and Mozig's work Hearness social media and references discussed in the show can be found on hearness.org, including information on the sound work for this month's episode, which comes from Weizen Ho, supported by Blue Mountains City of the Arts. Weizen is a movement and sound performance divisor who created the Prelude and Coda signature sounds for Hearness. We shall leave you with this now to drift off into your own sense of Hearness your body, your place, and your space. Until next full moon, goodbye.